evidence and answers. In the news, we hear of nations that are crumbling, wars and rumors of wars. Right before our eyes, we see the rise and fall of nations. What does God's Word say about this? You're listening to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is a popular teacher, speaker, and author in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Each week, Pat and his friends provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ. Today we will continue on with part two of a message Pat started the last time we were together entitled, The Rise and Fall of Nations, taken from our recent Hawaii Apologetics Conference. Each year, Pat hosts this conference, which features some of the premier Christian scholars and apologists from around the nation. Our theme was, Can We Be Good Without God?, and featured noted Christian scholars, Dr. Richard Land and Kirby Anderson. Now, let's conclude this encouraging message with Pat now. So the picture that Paul is painting is this. There is an individual being swept down by a powerful current there in the stream, and God is there holding on to the person's hand to rescue them from the dangerous pull of that river that's pulling them downstream. However, they want to get pulled downstream and are pleading to go downstream. So eventually, God lets go their hand and allows that person to be swept down by the current which he or she has chosen to go. That is the picture that Paul is painting there. God gives them over because they embraced a lie a false ideology and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. And here Paul gives us the meaning of idolatry, the putting of some aspect of God's creation, whether it be an animal, a human, or a material object, in place of God. That is the essence of idolatry. And this leads to immoral behavior. And the sin of homosexuality is highlighted here. Paul says that women exchange natural relations, describing a reversal in sexual practice. Paul says men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. So what is natural here is heterosexual relationships. This is how God created us and designed us. Homosexuality here is labeled at the beginning of this clause as sinful passions or what is unnatural. When I'm engaging on the university campus and even in churches today, I'm often challenged, where in the Bible does it say homosexuality is a sin? It doesn't say that anywhere. Well, there's no clearer passage here than in Romans chapter 1. So the Bible teaches us that a turning away from God leads to embracing of false ideologies and then to immoral behavior. And the one that is highlighted here is homosexuality. So what we see in our nation here, the redefining of marriage, the legalizing and perversion of marriage for which God designed, puts us in a very dangerous and very precarious situation today. We're talking about the rise and fall of civilizations, that civilizations rise and eventually they fall, and that civilizations are not conquered by a foreign power. They actually commit their own suicide. And Paul writes in Romans chapter 1 of the stages of decline. It begins with a turning away from God, which results in an embracing of false ideas, which in turn lead to immoral behavior. And the one that Paul highlights here is the sin of homosexuality. 
He writes, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in them the due penalty for their error. The turning away from God leads to the embracing of false ideologies. Paul names it as idolatry, which leads to immoral behavior. And the one he highlights here is gay marriage. So when a culture legalizes gay marriage and seeks to redefine marriage, this is the oldest covenant, the marriage covenant. And it's not established by man, but by God. And when we redefine the oldest covenant created by God here, the covenant of marriage, and we redefine it and legalize the perversion of marriage, the legalization of gay marriage and other types of marriages, well, then that puts us in a very dangerous and precarious position. You know, it was illustrated in a cartoon not too long ago. Here, if you look in this cartoon, Tim Tebow, a professional football player, an outspoken believer in Jesus Christ. And if you look at this cartoon, the first cartoon, you see Tim Tebow there. He says, I'm a Christian. And you look at the reporters, they're saying, keep it to yourself. No one's interested. Nobody wants to listen to him. And then the first openly gay NBA player, Jason Collins, a journeyman, a guy I've never heard of who's been on several teams, comes out and says, I'm gay. Then you see all the reporters with their microphones crowding him saying, tell me more, you big hero. It kind of illustrates the place we are in our culture today. Also, just recently, first openly gay NFL player, Michael Sam, who was drafted by the Los Angeles Rams in that final round there. People were commenting on whether they would draft him or not. And Tony Dungy, Super Bowl winning coach of the Indianapolis Colts and now commentator on many sports channels, when commenting on the draft of Michael Sam, he stated this, I wouldn't have drafted him, Michael Sam, Dungy said, not because I don't believe Michael Sam should have a chance to play, but I wouldn't want to deal with all the distractions. It's not going to be totally smooth. Things will happen. Well, as a result of saying that, Tony Dungy got blasted by the media and the culture the very next day. Keith Oberman, in his commentary, labeled Tony Dungy as the world's worst person in sports. He stated that Tony Dungy was a hypocrite and compared Dungy's comments to racism. Now that's quite surprising because the year before, people said the exact same thing about Tim Tebow. They said drafting him or bringing him onto their team would also be too much of a distraction because of his outspoken faith in Jesus Christ. Yet nobody got torched for saying that against Tim Tebow. But when Tony Dungy, and if you know Tony Dungy, he is a gracious, kind individual. I mean, if there's one person that doesn't have one hateful bone in his body, that'd probably be Tony Dungy. Yet for saying the same thing people were saying about Tim Tebow, he said about an openly gay player, Michael Sam, and he got torched in the press and the media by that on the next day. This kind of reflects where we are as a culture today. And history in the Bible shows us 
that if you redefine marriage, you do so at your own peril. There's tremendous destructive consequences as a result of same-sex marriages, abortion, cohabitation proliferating. We see that in countries throughout Europe. For example, the Danes, they got some of the most liberal laws on same-sex marriage, abortion, and cohabitation. So do the French. And as a result, what has happened? Well, their birth rate has plummeted. Now, sociological studies show that for a country to continue to thrive and survive, the average family must have an average of about two and a half children per family. That has to be about the average in order to sustain the elderly population that is retiring and the young generation that is coming up to sustain the workforce and all that is necessary for a culture and civilization to survive. Now, these countries with these very liberal same-sex marriage, abortion, and cohabitation laws, they have seen their birth rates plummet to below 2.0. And as a result, then, the Danes have to, and the French, they have to import their workers to sustain their workforce. And where are their workers coming from? Or they're coming from the Muslim nations of Africa and the Middle East. In fact, in France, it is known that one out of three babies born is an African Muslim. And so the French prime minister was pleading with his young people to marry, settle down, and have children. And the Danes, the same thing is going on. They are fighting for the very existence of their culture now. That is just one of the many destructive consequences when we redefine marriage like this. Also, we know that the human body is not meant for the kind of sexual activity that happens in gay marriages. It's a tremendously destructive to the human body. There are numerous medical studies that support this. That's why the rate of STDs and the medical costs of the gay lifestyle is tremendous. And if we legalize this and they're entitled to the rights of medical insurance by the people and the companies, well, then who pays for all of that? So economically, it has a devastating effect on our culture. And we could just go on and on of teen pregnancies and young girls going on welfare and how that often is passed on to the next generation. The results of sexual immorality take a tremendous toll on a culture or civilization. So you can argue it morally, sociologically, economically. It has a tremendous cost on a society. That's why God makes it clear. He defines marriage and where the beautiful gift of sex that he has given is to be practiced in the context of the bonds of the marriage covenant. And when we break that, a civilization does so to its own destruction and demise. So more than ever now, in a culture that is turned away from God and embracing an immoral lifestyle as the norm, more than ever now, Christians need to live and stand for purity and to take the heat that comes from righteous living. So the turning away from God leads to the embracing of false ideologies, eventually leads to immoral behavior, and eventually it leads to the self-destruction and the demise of a culture. Verses 28 through 32, it states, Since they did not see it fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, 
malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of religion, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So it says here in verse 28 that God gives them over to a debased or worthless mind. This does not mean that unbelievers cannot discern things that are true. What Paul is stating is that since people have refused to acknowledge God, they end up with minds unable to understand and accept the will of God. The result is that they do things which go against the moral law of God and things which are not proper. People who have turned away from God are fundamentally unable to think and decide correctly about God, about truth, and doing His will. People who have rejected God are thus unable to comprehend, let alone practice, the biblical ethical principles commanded by God. The debased mind, unable to know and do the will of God, leads to sins against one another, which Paul lists in verses 29 through 32. And God gives a civilization or culture over to the immorality which they have chosen and eventually leads to the fall and demise of any culture or civilization. In his book, When Nations Die, Jim Nelson Black studied 3,000 years of history of the rise and fall of nations. And he lists three aspects of decay. Social decay, cultural decay, and moral decay. These are three important signs of a nation or a civilization that has gone into decline. Let's take a look at the first, social decay. Now, three important trends that demonstrate social decay. First, there is a crisis of lawlessness, an increase in crime. Do we see that in our country today? Oh, you bet we do. Then a nation has a loss of economic discipline. In other words, the nation goes into tremendous debt because they borrow money from foreign nations to pay their debt. We see that today. I think our debt is over $16 trillion, isn't it? Then the uncontrolled spending leads a nation into financial debt and a rising bureaucracy, a growing government that requires increased tax to keep its programs going. Well, do we see that today? That's a sign of social decay. Then he lists four important trends that demonstrate cultural decay. First, there are the decline in education. We're seeing that today, aren't we? The weakening of cultural foundations, the loss of respect for tradition, and the increase in materialism. When there is an increase in spending and people are measured by the things that they have, not the character of who they are. When immense amounts are spent on things like sports and entertainment, there you see an increase in materialism. Often that is a sign of people distracting themselves from the important issues at hand and the misplacing of values. And it is said that of today that the shopping malls are indeed the cathedrals of our culture today. Those are some dangerous signs of cultural decay. 
Then we have three important trends that demonstrate moral decay, the rise in immorality, the breakdown of the family, the increase of divorce rate of single mothers. We've seen that in America today. That's a very dangerous trend. And who pays the cost of such immoral behavior? Everyone does. Everyone does. The myth that what happens in my bedroom is nobody else's business, that is a myth. There are consequences to immoral behavior. The decay of religious belief, the turning away from God, and the devaluing of human life when you see a rise in things like abortion, which has been legalized here in our country. Since its legalization, nearly 60,000 babies have been aborted. The legalizing of euthanasia and others, when there is a devaluing of human life, then that's a sign that demonstrates moral decay. Do we see these signs in America today? That's pretty scary when you take a look at these studies that have been done on civilizations throughout history. You know, Billy Graham stated just a few years ago, he stated, Some years ago, my wife Ruth was reading the draft of a book I was writing. When she finished a section describing the terrible downward spiral of our nation's moral standards and the idolatry of worshipping false gods such as technology and sex, she startled me by exclaiming, If God doesn't punish America, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, in the face of such an ominous future, what can we do? Well, first realize that our problem is not ultimately political, economic, or social, but it is indeed spiritual. That's the heart of the problem. The political, economic, and social problems we encounter are symptoms of the spiritual deterioration of our nation. And just as there are spiritual principles that influence the life of an individual, so there are political spiritual principles that govern the life of a nation. Since the problem is ultimately spiritual, then the answer is spiritual revival. This leads to a positive reformation of a nation and a revival of a culture that keeps it from its collapse. And there's hope for America. America is unique in that America has had two spiritual awakenings. And could this be the generation that sees another one? Second Chronicles 7.14 states this, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. To revive a culture or a nation, the answer is spiritual revival. It's happened twice in America where there's a national repentance and turning from sin and a return to God. It's possible. It's occurred twice in America. Could this be the generation that sees a third revival in America? Billy Graham states in his open letter to America, he says, My heart aches for America and its deceived people. But the wonderful news is that our Lord is a God of mercy, and he responds to repentance. In Jonah's day, Nineveh was the lone world superpower, wealthy, unconcerned, and self-centered. When the prophet Jonah finally traveled to Nineveh and proclaimed God's warning, people heard and repented. I believe the same thing can happen once again, this time in our nation. What our nation needs ultimately is not a political or economic solution, but a spiritual one. We need 
spiritual revival, a return, a turn from sin and a return to the Lord. Well, how does it all begin? Well, first it begins with the individual believer in Christ committing their life fully to follow Jesus Christ. We need a generation of Christians following after Christ with all their heart, taking on the call of discipleship, of dying to self each day and bearing the cross of Christ. And when the people of God take the call to discipleship seriously, that is the beginning in which God can bring revival to a nation. God can use many or just a few to accomplish great things. Look at the prophet Daniel. Daniel and his three friends stood for God in the midst of a foreign nation as a result of their testimony. The king of Babylon and the leaders of Babylon came to know the true and the living God of Israel. Second, it must occur at the family level. Parents must not surrender all education to the schools, public or private. Parents must stay involved and be able to explain truth from error. They must be able to show their children why their faith in Christ and biblical teachings are true, despite the things that they may learn in school. There is hope for our nation. Kirby Anderson pointed out that in just a few years, there may be a huge swing in the religious landscape of our nation because those who advocate abortion rights, gay marriage, and cohabitation, they're not having children. Those who believe in the traditional family and the sanctity of life, they are the ones having children and raising a new generation. That if these parents will pass their faith and values on to this new generation, we could have a massive transformation of our country. Therefore, it is imperative that parents be able to teach and defend and model their faith so it is passed on to the upcoming generation. Third, it happens at the church level. As Christians, we must get our own house in order if we expect our country to come back to God. Statistics show that the majority of Americans claim faith in God and Jesus Christ, yet small minority groups like the atheists and the gay community can exert much greater influence on the culture than the church. Our churches must return to solid biblical teaching, and Christians must commit to being a disciple of Christ and to heed the call of Christian discipleship laying down our lives for the cross of Jesus Christ. Then fourth, it occurs at the social level. Christians must know what they believe, but not only that, but why they believe and be able to articulate a compelling case for the existence of God and the truth of His teachings and for Jesus Christ and to persuade their family, friends, their circle of influence, their co-workers to the truth of the teachings of Jesus Christ. And finally, it must occur at a national level. We must pray for our leaders and vote for leaders who will stand for God and His moral law. Remember Second Chronicles 7.14, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sin and heal their land. Remember the light of a lantern shines brightest when it is the darkest. If the church continues to proclaim, defend, and live out the truth, the brightness of her light will be very difficult to ignore, even for a nation that is in rebellion against God. Will we be the generation that sees the demise of America or the revival of America? Well, revival can happen, but it will begin with the people of God. 
The fate of our nation does not depend on what the unbelievers do, but what the followers of Jesus Christ do. And this weekend, we will discover how it can happen if we play our part in God's plan. God bless you. God bless America. I want to thank all those who came to the Hawaii Apologetics Conference this year. Our theme was, Can America Be Good Without God? And although we focused on the United States, the principles taught from God's Word apply to all cultures and countries around the world. I know our show is heard in various countries, and there are tremendous lessons that can be learned from what is happening in Europe and here in the United States. So no matter what country you're in, I hope you enjoy this series, Can America Be Good Without God? Thank you for listening and sharing in this ministry as we continue to present evidence for faith and hope in Christ and answer the challenges facing every Christian and our culture today. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. This concludes our study entitled, The Rise and Fall of Nations. If you find this broadcast to be a blessing, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. Log on to our website at evidenceandanswers.org. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, go ahead and click on that Donate button side of our homepage. Join us again next time on the air or online for more Evidence and Answers.